Welcome to the What's In My Head podcast. I'm your host, Julian, and thanks for checking out the audio format of our show. If you want to watch these episodes, check us out on YouTube. Just type in youtube.com slash what's in my head podcast. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as I bring you a piece of your childhood each and every week. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button here as well as on YouTube. Make sure to check us out on all social media platforms. That's where I'll ask you, the fans, to drop a question or two for our upcoming guests. You can find us on social media by searching at In My Head Pod. If you're digging the content, leave us a rating and review as that helps us and other fans of pop culture find us. Enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, living legend is thrown around quite often. Welcome to the What's In My Head podcast. I've got Fred Seibert. Fred is pretty much responsible for everything, minus the Powerpuff Girls and so much more on my t-shirt. Fred, how are you, sir? I am great. What a sad life you must lead. Thinking that <laughs> <laughs> talking to people like me is that special, but I'm really thrilled to be here. Thanks, Julian. No, I mean, like without you, I mean, uh, I, I've said this on numerous podcasts before, without people like you, um, my childhood would have sucked. My adulthood when I was deployed in the Navy, uh, I always brought stuff that made me feel like I was at home um, when I wasn't anywhere near home. Um, and you had a huge part of that. Um, I want to kick it off, just just get right to the nitty gritty, if you will. You were the last sure. president of the Hanna-Barbera Productions. Um, yes, I was. I want to know anything and everything about Hanna-Barbera and what you did there and how you completely changed cartoons forever. Okay, so that's a big question. So why don't we try and break it down and start where you would like to start, and then okay. you know we'll take it in pieces. How's that? That's, that works perfectly fine. Um, when you got, uh, let's see, how do we phrase this? So, and I think it was 96, I'm looking over here, it's your last year. Uh, yep. When 92, when you first started to 96, what was your process or what was your mind thought or your, um, excuse me, what was just your, what was your, uh, your headspace to bring cartoons back to what they should have been? How, how was that you and why did, why were they choosing you to run this, this company? They made a terrible mistake is what <laughs> happened <laughs> in that. Um, I will tell you, honestly, when I walked in the door, I was just scared to death. Yeah. Um, I had watched cartoons as a kid and loved them like kids often do. Mm-hmm. But when I was 12 years old, I left them behind when both the Beatles and girls came into my life. <laughs> and, you know, in my day, I'm 69 years old. I was seven years old when the Huckleberry Hound show came on the air. It was, you know, the first for me rock star show, you know, it was a brand new show with new characters. Nobody had ever seen a style like that, you know, or, or kids hadn't seen a style. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say nobody. Yeah. And uh, I loved it. And, you know, when I was nine, the Flintstones came out and I thought Hanna-Barbera was the greatest place ever, but You know, as I got older and I was a music guy first, um, I became a jazz guy when I went to college and worked in college radio. Mm -hmm. And I was interested in the music business. And by accident, I got into the television business and I became one of the earliest employees of MTV. And I was responsible for a lot of the little tiny animations that we did at MTV, where we took the logo and made it do funny things. Yeah. And that led me to working with Nickelodeon, who had had a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. And my partner and I started helping them through their problems. And we were able to help them go from worst in the ratings on television to number one. Yep. And we also did these little... 10 second animations of the Nickelodeon logo, which we helped to develop. What was the mindset and that was, behind that? Uh, which was the mindset behind the which uh, part? M- MTV, the 10 second MTV uh, little animations, and then onto Nickelodeon. What, what was that that made it, it seem like it worked? Um, well, my goal was that I wanted to be as important to television mm-hmm. as album covers were to me as a kid. I had sort of missed the album cover revolution that happened, you know, when I was, you know, 10. Mm -hmm. And um, when I got to MTV, I wanted to have a role in the MTV thing that was important. And I thought, gee, if we could do the equivalent of album covers, that'd be great. What, What that led to 
was that every time we did a little piece of animation, it was wildly different than the one before. Mm -hmm. And that was really different for television. Television was set up so that every piece that identified a network looked like the other pieces. So they had a a cohesive identity. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, we looked at the opposite. We said, can we explode the identity and always make it not just fun, but unexpected, new and fresh every time out? So, you know, whatever, I did all these things and I made friends along the way. And one of those friends eventually was the president of Ted Turner's entertainment division, uh, which at the time was TBS and TNT. Mm -hmm. And they were about to launch Cartoon Network and they realized they didn't have enough cartoons. So they went and bought Hanna-Barbera, which for a variety of reasons, no one else in the industry really wanted. Why? Um, one, the reputation that Hanna-Barbera had developed unfairly mm-hmm. was that they made a lot of junky stuff. Okay. And that came from the, what I'll call the Disney corner of the universe, mm-hmm. which held with good reason, Disney animation at sort of the highest standard and to, depending on who you were talking to a little under that Looney Tunes and all of those things. But they were animated in a sort of what we would now call traditional way, which is every other frame was a new drawing. And it was very labor intensive, very expensive. And by the time the 1950s showed up, no one could afford to do it, number one. Number two, television had siphoned off all of the family viewing that movies used to provide. So they didn't really need to do the animations in the movie theaters anymore. And television couldn't afford the cost of those traditional cartoons. Mm -hmm. So Hanna-Barbera came along and they had a solution, which is that they were going to be simpler in their execution. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the jokes that people used to make about Hanna-Barbera cartoons is when Huckleberry Hound was running or Fred Flintstone was running, the same tree would show up over and over and over again. Well, that was a money-saving proposition. And there was this basic feeling, if you were saving money, the stuff must be junkier. And I, you know, as a kid, I didn't believe that. I thought Huckleberry Hound, I thought Quick Draw McGraw, I thought Yogi Bear and the Flintstones, they were all great. Mm -hmm. But the conventional wisdom had been that they were cheap junk. And honestly, by the 80s, most of the television animation production companies were making inexpensive cheap junk. You know, there was a lot of stuff that wasn't really very good. And so the price that the owner of the Hanna-Barbera studio at that time wanted seemed outrageous to people. It did not fit the business multiplication that most people thought of as the way you valued a business like that is it too and personal Ted Turner number was I don't sorry I mean, about that I didn't mean to interrupt you but is it too is it too personal of a question to ask you what that number was if you remember no 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 the, the, basically the way the formula worked is how much money did the library make in the last five years okay and we'll pay five years worth of that money and for Hanna-Barbera that was 175 million dollars holy but shit. the owner of the company was asking $350 million. And Ted Turner was the only guy that saw a reason that it would be worthwhile to pay $350 million while everyone else in the industry passed, Mm -hmm. including, by the way, the people at Nickelodeon who I was working with. So long story short, Ted Turner decided to buy the company. He wanted the library for Cartoon Network. And the studio which produced the cartoons was losing about $10 million a year. They hadn't had a hit in years. The last time they had had a bona fide hit was with the Smurfs in 1981. And the business management at Turner Broadcasting just wanted to close the studio and use the library. Mm -hmm. And Ted, who had several years before had a business disaster when he bought the MGM studio And had to rapidly sell it because it bankrupted him. Yeah. um, Was upset that he didn't have a production studio in Hollywood. And Hanna-Barbera looked like a good bet to him. Mm -hmm. And from his perspective, losing $10 million a year compared to the 
hundreds of millions that he was losing at MGM seemed like a good deal. Yeah. So the business people were frustrated. They didn't know how to turn it around. And this friend of mine who was in charge of everything said, okay, look, if we're going to keep Hanna-Barbera, we need to take a long pass and really figure out a new way to do things. And he called me and said, maybe you want to run Hanna-Barbera. And I was like, what? What? No. I mean, <laughs> you know, like I don't know how to make cartoons. He said, oh, you did all that great stuff with Nickelodeon. And I said, Scott, his name was Scott Sass. His name is Scott Sass. I said, look, I was l- wiggling the logo for 10 seconds. You know, that the equivalent. It had nothing to do with great characters. It had nothing to do with stories. I, I don't know that I'm really the guy. And he said, look, I would really rather close it, but Ted won't let me. Why don't you look at it this way? It's a win-win for you. If you don't have a hit, no one will blame you. They haven't had a hit in 10 years. And if you do have a hit, everyone will think you're wonderful. (laughs) So honestly, it kind of fit into a frustration I had had at Nickelodeon because several years before Nickelodeon had come to me and said, you know, we think we should stop licensing cartoons like Danger Mouse and Bell and Sebastian Mm -hmm. because they're getting more and more expensive as we're getting more and more popular. We think that we can afford to make our own cartoons. And then, you know, again, the business case was if we own them, you know, then we can make the money licensing them out instead of other people doing that. Put that middleman out. And, yeah. And they came to me and they said, so what do we do? And I, once again, I said, well, why are you asking me? I, and they said, well, you do animation for us. I said, no, no, no. I make the logo wiggle. <laughs> you know, making cartoons is really different. They said, well, we don't know anyone else. What do you think we should do? So it happened that I had only read one book on the history of cartoons, which Leonard Malton, the film critic, had written. He's a cartoon fanatic to this day. What was that and book he basically say that, that again. What was that book's name? Oh, uh, the book was, hang on, I have it on my shelf here. Oh, man, I don't remember. It's OK. We can come back to it later. Okay, good. Yeah, I I have it on my blog. Um, Anyway, uh, that history had basically talked about the history of animation and feature films, Mm -hmm. but the ones that really were important to me is the history of animation on television, which was first repurposing all of those theatrical shorts, whether they were Looney Tunes or Tom and Jerry or Heckle and Jekyll and, you know, all that stuff. And then how Hanna-Barbera had come up making short cartoons, you know, the, the first series they did from the 1950s to the early 60s were all shorts. Mm-hmm. And I basically blurted out to Nickelodeon at this breakfast that we had that I thought what they should do is recreate the short system of the 30s and 40s. And Nickelodeon took away from that a slightly different perspective and did it their way. And I was ticked off that they didn't listen to me to do it my way. So when I walked into Hanna-Barbera, I had this sense of how Hanna-Barbera could revive itself, number one. Number two, how the cartoon business, which to my mind had changed into the animation business, Mm -hmm. which I looked at as different. Animation is like saying music. And cartoons to me is like saying rock and roll, right? It's a specific subset of animation. And I thought that maybe what I could do was bring that feeling back to Hanna-Barbera because honestly, at that point in time, Hanna-Barbera was down on its luck. The best employees had all been scooped up by Disney who wanted to get back into the television business. Warner Brothers who had started with Tiny Toons and Animaniacs Mm-hmm. And they wanted to get back into the television business. And the people left at Hanna-Barbera were somewhat demoralized, number one. Yeah. Number two, it was this weird situation where Joe and Bill still worked there as consultants, but they weren't running the place anymore. They were 82 years old when I got there. Mm-hmm. And there were still a lot of employees who were in their 70s and 80s would come with Joe and Bill along the way and you were considered one of the young whippersnappers if you were 40 (laughs) and and I was 40 at the time just so you know 
And they thought that the really young kids, you know, the ones in their 20s, were like, get out of my way, kid, you bother me. And I had come up in a world where the people who were in their 20s were the energy of the future Mm -hmm. and had all of the great ideas. Well, maybe not all the great ideas. They had a lot of great ideas and energy that they wanted to create their future. And Hanna-Barbera basically looked at them as interns. (laughs) And I thought, okay, maybe there is a way to capture that energy of that new generation that's coming into animation and use it to explode the studio. And that's kind of what I wanted to do. I mean, you essentially did it. Like I said, I, I showed you the shirt before and I showed you after. I mean, with the exception of Powerpuff Girls, and I'm not sure if uh, Fosters and, uh, well, on this side, Bill and Mandy were a part right. of what they had. I think they might have been What a Cartoon, but I think it was uh, shortly. They were, the nec- they were the next generation yeah. after I left. Um, yeah. you, you, like I said, you have 90% of this damn shirt. And like I said, there's <laughs> one entity missing. I mean, it is insane to sit here and, and think. Not only did you have David Feist for Cowan Chicken and I Am Weasel, you had Danny Antonucci for Ed, Ed, and Eddie. You also had somebody that most people don't know that worked on Cowan Chicken and a Seth MacFarlane. The yep. Seth MacFarlane is a family guy, American dad. Um, I can't remember the, uh, the space one he's working on right now. Um, but you say family guy, everybody knows family guy. Yeah. You guys had a sleeper cell essentially of just nothing but assassins when it came to the animation world. (laughs) I mean, it it, it is phenomenal to know you guys had probably for the next 30 to 40 years, the best animators, the best voice actors and actresses of all time. And when you took over and you were running this and you were, you brought this idea from Nickelodeon that, Hey, we got to come back to the shorts. We got to do what made Hanna-Barbera special back in the day. What really, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Um, And, did, did you ever get those looks like, what the hell is this, you know, what's, what's the young whippersnapper talking about? What's this 40-year-old guy that doesn't know anything talking about? Did you ever get Oh, that? yeah. Oh, yeah. Look, I walked in. My first meeting with the senior staff at Hanna-Barbera was interesting because I said, look, I don't know anything about cartoons other than I watched them as a kid. Yeah. But the good news for you is you know about cartoons. Why don't you tell me what you want to do? Mm-hmm. And about half of them quit on me like right away. Man, you I know, they, enough, so. yeah, they were used to being told what to do. The way Joe and Bill ran it and the people who ran it after Joe and Bill, it was like a dictatorship. Yeah. It was like, do what we tell you. Mm-hmm. And here, and by the way, a lot of people are really comfortable with that. In fact, you know, when I first walked in Ted Turner's office, he had this great sign on his desk that stuck with me. It said, lead, follow, or get out of the way. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people want a leader to follow. And now this new leader was coming in and saying, oh, I want to follow you. I don't want you to follow me. And that was sort of a, you know, a wake up call for me about the way the industry was constructed. Mm -hmm. But it was also a wake up call for a lot of those people who just didn't want to be part of that kind of system. So. I basically, you know, it, it took me a couple of years to get comfortable. I mean, I was so scared. They gave me Bill Hanna's office, his old, his original wow. office. And I was so scared of that office. It was like bigger than my apartment. What did it look like? And, did he leave anything in there? Oh, yeah. It was his original custom-made desk that he had when he first built the building in 1961. The desk was so big that I felt like you could sleep a family of four on it. <laughs> and, and it just scared me. And so I just sat on the couch for the first six months. I wouldn't go near the desk, you know? Was there an energy and, the Say that again? Was there an energy? Did you feel different walking through those doors when you sat in his office? Did you feel like, was there, you always hear energy in a room or energy somewhere. Was that the same kind of concept? Did you feel different walking in there? Well, I felt different because, like I said, I was scared. Yeah. I had been driving by that building for 20 years, wondering what went on in there. Mm-hmm. And when I walked in, there just wasn't a ton of energy in the building. It was it was sort of like they were marking time yeah. until they got fired or something clock like in, that. Clock in, clock out type of thing. And so 
I came from a background, you know, in at MTV and Nickelodeon, where actually my job was to create a lot of energy. Mm -hmm. And I was a little stymied. I didn't know how really to do it in the cartoon business. I didn't understand the language that they spoke. Mm -hmm. I didn't really understand their process all that much. So the first year, 18 months, I was just absorbing yeah. and then talking to everyone I could talk to. I talked to as many employees as I could. I talked to people in other studios. I talked to people who used to work at Hanna-Barbera. I talked to people who never wanted to work at Hanna-Barbera. <laughs> I, you know, I just talked to everybody. Yeah. And, and over and over again, the people said, you know, we want to make cartoons. Mm -hmm. And they were making animated sitcoms, not cartoons. Yeah. And, you know, the, the new energy in the business had come from two different places. One was The Simpsons, which was, in fact, an animated sitcom. And the other one was for the cartoons that Nickelodeon eventually made, Rugrats, uh, Doug, and more than ever, Ren and Stimpy. Yeah. Right. Everybody wanted to capture that energy. And I thought that this shorts thing could do it. But it took me a while, one, to convince my, my seniors at Turner's company that there was a way to pull this off. Mm -hmm. And two, that even within the studio, they were completely confused by what I was asking them for. They what, didn't actually believe me what is what it was. Was it just they well, didn't have trust in you or was it just that it was something different than what they were used to? Well, they certainly didn't... Um, trust me because I was an outsider, you know, that hadn't come from within the industry Two, even though one of the things that talent came in and said to me is, well, you know, studios steal our ideas and they don't give us credit and they don't pay us for them and all that type of stuff. And I said, well, you know, I don't want to do that. I don't think they really believe me because so many other people had made promises to them yeah. that they broke. So, when I announced that I wanted to do the What a Cartoon show, a guy comes in and he said, well, I, I have an idea. I said, gee, great. Um, let's do it. And he said, okay, well, who are you going to get to replace me on my show? And I said, well, nobody. Why don't you work up your idea? Mm -hmm. And he said, Fred, I'm a professional. I get paid for what I do. You know? And I said, yeah, but look, you told me, you and all of your colleagues told me that you wanted to own your own ideas. Mm -hmm. Well, if I pay for it, I'm going to own it. Yeah. But if you want to do it on your own, you can develop it up. You can bring it in. And here's what I promise you. If you pitch it to me and I don't want to do it, you get to own it and you can bring it to another studio. Well, that just made him mad. And he walked out on me. I, I think he quit. I don't remember who it was. And I never saw him again. But the younger folk in the studio got it right away. Because in the live action business, that's how it works. You write a script of your own at night. And you pitch it to whoever you work for. They, they probably have a deal that they have to be pitched first. Mm -hmm. And if they don't like it, it's yours. And you get to bring it elsewhere. Yeah. So a lot of the veterans sort of didn't really think you know, this was much of anything. A lot of the young guys, I found out later that, you know, getting training for the animation business meant you were training to be an animator on a Disney feature or something because no one thought they could do their own work. And on top of that, no one thought you could make cartoons anymore. Everybody was focused on animation, you know, yeah. The Little Mermaid and Lion King and all that stuff. And there was one guy in my studio that I'd been told was a Tex Avery fanatic. Okay. And I talk with him and blah, blah, blah. And you have ideas. Yes, I do. What, how do you want to do them? We figured out a way to do it. And he was one of the earliest guys I brought in to do it. And he had a reputation of being crazy. <laughs> so I, I announced within the studio that I had hired this guy. His name is Pat Ventura. Okay. And one of the veterans who was probably 45 at the time put his head in my office and he looked at me and he said, Oh my God, you weren't kidding. 
<laughs> I said, well, no, no, no. I, why, why did you think I was kidding? I said, he said, because nobody does this anymore. Yeah. Nobody really wants what we have. They want to tell us what to do. And I said, well, I, I'm, you know, I don't know what to tell you. So like I've said, I'm eager for you to tell me. So long story short, I announced it not only within the studio, but outside of the studio. Within the studio, at the beginning, I got just silence. Yeah. Out of the studio, I started getting hundreds and eventually thousands of pitches. Mm -hmm. People from all over the world literally were sending in their stuff. And eventually the people inside realized, oh my God, this is our studio. We want in on this. Mm -hmm. And I started getting pitches from within the various crews that we had. And, you know, you know, the results, not only the characters that you mentioned, Johnny Bravo, Dexter's Laboratory, Powerpuff Girls, Cow and Chicken, uh, Courage, a Cowardly Dog came from outside. Um, I started getting all sorts of people. In fact, Seth, as a great example, one of my colleagues um, took seriously that we wanted new and young talent and started going out to senior animation shows at colleges. Okay. And she went to the Rhode Island School of Design. It's known as RISD, where Seth was a senior, saw the senior show and said, you know, we, we have to hire him right away. And we brought him in. He did one of the three or four prequels he did to Family Guy. It's called Larry and Steve. Mm -hmm. um, people in the studio really liked it. Honestly, I didn't understand it. It was not. I It, it was one of those things where. Seth worked for me. He did that short. He then went to work as a writer and director on Johnny Bravo and a little bit on Cow and Chicken. Um, but I didn't understand Larry and Steve and I wouldn't have understood Family Guy, my loss, my big loss. Well, I mean, it, it was a huge hit. You know, it's, it's one of those shows, very rarely do you ever see a show canceled, brought back, canceled. Yeah, absolutely brought back. And I think they're yeah. same thing with Matt Groening and Futurama. That thing was canceled two or three times and it comes right. back. I'm sure with, with how, and don't take this wrong, ladies and gentlemen, it's, it's just okay. when, when cartoons really, when I found cartoons weren't for me anymore, or they just weren't build or whatever you want to call it just for me, they were for a different person or a different sure. age bracket. Um, was that 2009, 2010, you know, era when everything started looking very cookie cutter. Now, when yeah. you said, look at my shirt, not one of these characters at all, ladies and gentlemen, look like each other. I mean, for God's sakes, they had a cow and a chicken that came from <laughs> the same human mom and human dad that ran away from a devil. And then you've got three dudes that were sitting here trying to get jawbreakers all day within a complete, a huge variety of cast members. But now, like I said, there's a few gems in there, but for the most part, everything is just so... I don't want to say vanilla, but vanilla, everything is the same. Everything sounds, looks the same. And what you did and ushered in for these young kids, these, these 20, 20 year olds that came in and just completely turned everything upside down in this industry. It's a testament to you and a testament to what you did, but knowing that you did not come from this world completely blows any kind of preconceived notion that I had about you before I started talking to you. And it, turn my idea of what somebody can do in your shoes um, just on its head. Um, what were some of the, the, the talks that you would have with these animators? You said you would get pitches all the time. I mean, were they getting you on your way to your car? I mean, was it like something they'd have to set up or? Oh, no, we, we look, we had a formal process. We had a little development group and they usually went to them first. Sometimes they came to me um, and the truth is, look, we understood that we were going to make 48 short cartoons. Yeah. We were going to spend $9.6 million of Ted Turner's money. And everybody thought that they had, you know, the next big thing. Um, and so we also knew that we were going to turn down all sorts of people. I've, I've realized over the years that our ratio is we turn down 50 to 60 things for everything that we do. Yeah. And then out of those 48, you know, five of them, six of them went somewhere, right? So even in the ones that we decided to do and invest in, 
most of them don't make the cut. But, you know, I come out of the music business where people make singles and then they make albums. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, even of your favorite bands, often the album, you don't like most of the songs on it, certainly the way you like one or two of the songs on it, you know, that type of thing. And so I was used to the fact that you try, try, try and fail. Mm -hmm. And then you try, try, try this. Of those 48 shorts that we made, I actually just took a quick look at all of them recently. And even the ones that didn't go anywhere, those people have become the backbone of the industry. Yeah. They're all in their 40s, some of them in their 50s now. And they are the veterans. You know, Gendy Tartakovsky is still like going crazy. He went, he did right. Samurai Jack. He, he did the recent Samurai Jack. He did the Hotel T movies, which are the highest grossing movies that that studio has done in animation ever. And he's doing Primal. You know, Craig McCracken is still, yeah. I Craig just, McCracken not only did Fosters, he did Wander Over Yonder over at Disney. He's now at Netflix. Mm -hmm. All of these are Rob Renzetti, who did My Life as a Teenage Robot for me over at Nickelodeon, is one of the top guys in the business. Um, all of these people were highly skilled, but more importantly, highly talented. Yeah. And whether or not their original creation went the full distance, they bring that craft and talent to everything that they do. And, you know, it's amazing to me when I look back on it. But one of the things that's always true in any field, you know, you're surrounded by the toys that you love and a bunch of them are, you know, the Funko Pop figures I see. Yeah, there's a few and, up there. Yeah. So, you know, the guy who runs Funko, he bought Funko from whoever originated the company. And it was kind of like it did okay, yeah. but it didn't do great. But he was a pop culture fanatic. Mm -hmm. And the first thing he did is he actually called me and said, you know, I loved Hanna-Barbera when I was a kid, just the same way you did. And so I'm going to make tons of Hanna-Barbera Funko characters. And he sent me a box. It was like a giant box. This is in, you know, the mid 2000s or something like that. And you could tell that this guy had the energy to build out his company in a way that it hadn't been before. Yeah. As it turned out, I don't think most of those Hanna-Barbera characters did all that well, you know, but it was his energy when it's new. that You do things, right, that nobody has ever done before. Once things start to succeed, people start looking and going, how can I do more of that? Mm -hmm. And they kind of replicate themselves. And I'll tell you, it happened to me. You know, so the What a Cartoon project happened in the mid-90s. Like I said, I was in my mid-40s. Mm -hmm. I left when Ted Turner sold the company and I started my company, Frederator. And I did Oh Yeah Cartoons where we came out with... Um, the Fairly Odd Parents, Chalk Zone, My Life as a Teenage Robot. Fantastic cartoons. But yes, they those guys are great. Butch Hartman, who created Fairly Odd, Larry Huber and Bill Burnett, who did Chalk Zone. I mentioned Rob Renzetti, who did My Life as a Teenage Robot. But, you know, 10 years later, I'd had the company for a while, and we hadn't had a hit in a while. Mm -hmm. And I did a new set of short films, uh, eventually called Random Cartoons. And... Uh, my development colleague, Eric Homan, brought somebody in to pitch me and they did the pitch and it was a weird little pitch. And there were things about it that were funny, but things about it that weren't the same. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I said, well, you know, I, I don't think we should do that one. And they said, well, what do you mean? It's great. I said, well, you know, we really we haven't had a hit in a long time. He's just out of college. Yeah. It doesn't really look like the things that are popular. I made that big executive mistake of thinking I knew something instead of understanding that the creator knew something. Mm -hmm. And so luckily my colleagues wouldn't let me out of my office until I said yes to this short. <laughs> and I met the guy again and he really impressed me in our conversation. He's not a boastful guy and stuff, but I knew he wanted to succeed. And so we ended up doing the short. Um, it was called Adventure Time. Oh, My life changed. My life changed at that moment mm -hmm. because up until then, I actually thought 
well, maybe I had something to do with this. And then I realized like I had nothing to do with it other than making sure that the room was safe for these young creative people to come in and blow my mind. Yeah. And, and that's really what happens in this process. And I, I'm really lucky I learned it because I was starting to fall into the trap of doing more of what we used to do yeah. instead of more of what we needed to do, to which end. was, well, is to listen to the people who are creating the future. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I started to realize over time is that any kind of creative person, a musician, a novelist, um, an animator, they start the day with the equivalent of a blank piece of paper and they try to blot out the world around them. And they're trying to create a new world. And in many ways, that new world is a world that they wish existed. Mm -hmm. They they love the world that exists, but they think it could be better. And with that piece of paper or that guitar or that computer screen, they're trying to create a new world that they think will be just as exciting, more exciting than the world that exists. Mm -hmm. And I realized at that point in time that my role was to help them do it. Yeah. I mean, you did a fantastic job. I mean, like I said, you can't really see much in here uh, because this place, we're we're in the stages of remodeling um, Mm -hmm. throughout the house. So uh, it's, it's, it's interesting right now. This is just the the good section. All my comics are down there. Um, But when, when, when you start, I want to circle back. So just don't let me forget. Sure. I, I got this mindset where I'll go and I'll get off on a tangent and then I'll forget about me too. <laughs> and, uh, um, I wanted to talk more about uh, Ted Turner and you working over there. Um, Cause mm-hmm. I got a, I don't know if you were a wrestling fan or anything like that back in the day. Um, I was, huge- I was not, but I, I get, I understand that you might've been and yeah. lots of people are. Yeah. I mean, it's just superheroes on TV essentially is what it is. I mean, just, they, yep. They're built like Greek gods. They do stuff that just doesn't seem like somebody that big can actually do. And a lot like Ted, like, so Ted bought WCW back in the day, you know, it was a feeling wrestling industry. It was uh, probably NWA before that. And then he, he wanted to bring wrestling back to TNT. Um, Sure. When, when you were working over there, was that Time Warner and that AOL, uh, that merger that they were doing back in that early nineties, that mid, mid to late nineties, excuse me. Was, were you a part of any of that as far as were you working for them when they were doing that and how much did it change or you already left? I I worked with them until they sold to Time Warner and then I left. I realized that I was not going to, I'm a bad employee and (laughs) you know. How so? so? You made a million dollars at this point, right? Yeah, but you know, I don't like to be told what to do. I understand. And, you know, the truth is that Ted was both a brilliant entrepreneur Mm -hmm. and out of his mind completely. Yeah. And he was open to somebody that didn't want to be told what to do. Um, You know, when I first walked in with the idea for what a cartoon, he said no. Mm Mm-hmm. He, first of all, he didn't like the idea that I was going to let the cartoonists own their own work because he was used to like, if I pay you, I get the work, you know, that type of thing. And I hadn't really quite clearly explained that they were going to do the work on their own time, you know, that type of thing. The second thing is that I had already made two shows in Hanna-Barbera. The two shows between them cost about $10 million and they were complete failures. Okay. So I didn't have a budget anymore. And I had to go in and ask for another $10 million to do this thing. And he's like, well, why should we let you do this? You just made two cartoons. They failed. And I said, well, you know, Ted, in this case, I'm going to spend the, it was $9.6 million to do 48 different cartoons. I said, how dumb do you think I would have to be to do something 48 times where one of them didn't work? Yeah. And he was like, that made sense to him. That made sense to his entrepreneurial mind. Yeah. The truth is, is that while I've done a number of these short shows since, convincing anyone else to do them takes years. I'm in the process now of convincing someone to do one, and nobody really wants to do it. It doesn't fit the way they usually do business. And by the way, they don't want an outside guy doing it. They go, well, that's what my development people do. Why should I let you do it? 
when that's what they should be doing. So, you know, doing it like working on my own made a lot of sense. And working for Time Warner was really different than working for Jed Turner. Yeah. And I knew I wasn't going to be working for Jed Turner. So I left and started Frederator. Now, when you said you're, you're doing that now, do you mean you were doing that now then or you're doing that physically right now? I won't ask you any spoilers if that's what you're doing. Right no, now. it's OK. I'm literally right now talking with people about doing a new set of shorts. By the way, every studio and every network has copied my system of shorts and none of them get big hits out of them like ever. And we've probably done about 20 shows based on our shorts. You would think the guy that brought you David Feist, Danny Antonucci, Butch Hartman, all of these. I didn't bring, to be fair, just so you know, I didn't bring Danny, though I'm a friend of his. Okay. Okay. It was after my time, but they sort of continued on that process that we had done. But you laid the groundwork. You laid the foundation yes. open. You yeah. had those doors open for these gentlemen and these ladies to walk in here. And like I said, complete, it is a cartoon renaissance of what was done in your tenure and while you were there. Um, and it even continues to trickle down into some of these really, really good shows down the road after you, you know, left yep. this studio. Look, and luckily, luckily, I have been able to convince a number of people over the years. It just takes a long time. And, and the reason is, is because, again, they have people in their shop that that's their job. Yeah. And they wonder why they're paying them and they should also pay me. Yeah. And I look, it, it makes sense. The other thing is nobody wants to think that they can't do it. Yeah. You know, especially look, I'm now 61 years, 60, uh, 69 years old. We'll I'm trying to make myself 64. younger. We'll tell everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody wants the old guy walking in. It doesn't seem possible that the old guy has something new to offer. You know, and everybody wants to do it themselves. I get it. Oh, I mean, I guess when you play it out that way, it's understandable to think that, like, like I say, when I, if I don't know something, right, I go to get my hair cut, right? They tell yep. me what you want. I don't know. Uh, don't right. make me look dumb. Um, <laughs> you're the professional at this point. I cook in a kitchen during the day and I do this for fun. Um, right. this, this, this is something I did out of COVID because there's nothing worse. And I, I've said it twice, two or three times. Um, and I can't remember where I heard it from. And I always love to give credit whenever I hear it. But I was listening to a podcast one time and he said, there is nothing worse being a creative guy, being a comedian, a chef, an animator, whatever, and not having something to say or having something to say and not and meaning, no place to say it. Yes. No place yep. to say it. You know, you would think that, that, that these guys, that, like I said, you laid the foundation for you laid the roadwork, you opened these doors, whether you did it while you were there or it was something down the road, it all kind of went through you. Right. Yeah. You know? But you look, you know, here's the deal, especially in comedy. Mm -hmm. Comedy is a generational business. Yeah. You know, the stuff that I find funny. My 25 year old does not find funny. <laughs> and in fact, he loves comedy and he's always trying to turn me on to the people he likes. And they all bore the crap out of me. Are you talking stand up? Uh, he likes stand up. He likes sitcoms. He likes comedy movies. He likes the comedy world. Right. But, you know, the same thing happened to me when I was his age, you know, SNL came out mm -hmm. and my parents just scratched their head and wondered why it wasn't Henny Youngman or Buddy Hackett, you know, the standups of their generation. And they didn't think anything on SNL was funny. Mm -hmm. That's the plain truth of the matter. And, you know, with Adventure Time, I learned that my generation of comedy had passed and that there was a new way of finding things. Now I've sort of tried to adjust myself. I also make sure that I have young people in my organization who can tell me like when to jump in a lake, you know, <laughs> and, and, you know, you learn to trust the creative people that you work with and yeah. all that type of stuff. I, I don't blame people for feeling this way. Yeah. You know, look, uh, one of my heroes was a record producer named Jerry Wexler. He's famous for doing everything from Ray Charles to Aretha Franklin. Um, he eventually did, you know, discovered Dire Straits. Uh, he, he brought all sorts of great music to the table. Yeah. But there was a day that what he was interested in and what the greater public was interested in didn't resemble each other. 
And it's just how it is. It's not that the records he made in those days were no good. They just didn't represent that moment in time. Yeah. And, you know, I can really understand why people will feel that I can't represent that moment in time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I said, I also want to get paid for what I do. And, yeah. you know, people are already paying other people to do it. And the truth is, if you're an executive in charge of a studio or a network or a platform, a streaming platform, you want to believe that you can do it. You know, you don't want somebody else coming in and telling you that, you know, they can do it better. So look, it it is the way of the world. We are in a competitive world and I'm like one of the competitors on the track. Mm -hmm. Um, I have to, sorry. Who do you need me to trip when that gun goes (laughs) off? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But, you know, again, that's the game. It's, it's interesting in COVID time, in certain ways, it's easier, mm-hmm. you know, because um, I've been working on Zoom and video conferencing for seven or eight years. I closed all the phones in the office and said everyone had to work on video conference because if they looked at each other, they couldn't be insulting to each other. So I had great advantage in that I really have understood this way of communicating that we are that a lot of people uh, didn't. In fact, the executives were very confused for the first few months of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. They were like, how can I do this? I have to see people in person. I have to see, you know, but we had already been doing it. You know, we did a series of shorts a few years ago where I think we did 12 shorts and one of the best ones came out of an art teacher in Brisbane, Australia, who we never met in person. In fact, I've never met her in person to this day. Mm-hmm. and a guy from Latvia okay. who, you know, it turned out I was like, we're like, how, how, why are you like coming to us? And how come your picture is so clear? He goes, oh, well, you know, we have the best internet connections in Europe. I'm like, who knew? Like, <laughs> I, I sure didn't, you know? So my, my point being that the world has changed, it actually has helped us a lot, helped me a lot mm-hmm. with, you know, great talented people. And it seems to be working in this era of, of COVID. I just left Frederator after 22 years and I'm starting a new company. And hopefully I'll be able to convince the next sucker that they ought to believe in what I have to offer, you know, and they'll give me the money to do what it is that they really need. Should we bleep out sucker in this? No, you can leave it. You can leave it. It's okay. Um, you know, at heart, I'm less of, I don't really know what I'm doing too much other than that just like the 12 year old me that became a fan of the Beatles. I've been a fan for my entire career and I look for people to be a fan of. Yeah. And what I try and do is help them in my fandom. I try to be a professional help to them to get to the place where they want to be. And if that works out, okay, we do stuff together. And maybe we, you know, we win the race. Well, like I said, that you've won quite. I mean, I wouldn't even really say it's a race; it's more of a marathon than anything. Because you want, you always want to keep going as long Ab- as absolutely, absolutely. And um, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no it's fine. Uh, you know, out of all of the projects that you've worked on, which one has been? You said you had a 25 year old, right? Yeah. So he he grew up probably the same cartoons I grew up. Maybe a little bit of the newer ones than I did. Um, yep. what were some of the ones that you knew you had a hit when you saw your son watching them or your son was asking you questions on them? Um, the truth is I tried to avoid imposing what I did on my kids, okay. like my whole life. Yeah. I knew, um, you know, and in fact, uh, you know, like an oldest son can be, he was very resistant to anything from dad. Yeah. And in fact, you know, he became a real fan of uh, Dexter's Laboratory and the Powerpuff Girls when he was, you know, four. Mm-hmm. Right. Didn't know I had anything to do with him, which was just as well. Yeah. And then when he was about six is when the Fairly Odd Parents was coming out mm-hmm. and he had just transitioned from Nick Jr. You know, to Nickelodeon and decided yeah. he didn't want to ever watch Nickelodeon oh. because well, he, he sort of, you know, in his mind, 
it was Nick Jr. And now he was no longer a junior. He was grown up at six <laughs> and, and Nickelodeon just reminded him of Nick Jr. Yeah. And it was the time that Powerpuff and Dexter's and all that. He said, I only watch Cartoon Network. I won't watch anything on Nickelodeon. <laughs> and I said, okay, you know, whatever. So Fairly Odd Parents is going to debut. And I said, look, Joe, his name is Joe. And I said, look, tonight, my new show on Nickelodeon is coming out. Why don't you watch it with me? Because, Dad, I don't watch Nickelodeon. I said, look, you just, just watch it with me, will you please? He goes, oh, okay, you know, you reluctantly. So we, we watched The Fairly Odd Parents. And I said, so what do you think? He said, it was okay. And he walked off, you know, to bed. Yeah. So right around that time, I got my first TiVo. Mm -hmm. And the early TiVos, you know, you could record and you could save stuff. And so we only made six episodes of The Fairly Odd Parents. And I um, recorded them and saved them on the TiVo. And he was really into the TiVo. You know, it was really early, you know, um, where you could hold on to stuff. And so he started saying to his friends, you know, I don't watch television. I watch TiVo. <laughs> but, but the only thing saved on the TiVo were the six Fairly Odd Parents. Yeah. So he just watched them over and over and over again. And became a you know a huge fan so much so that uh, he's a big reader and was a big reader and is, and so I printed out the first you know twenty scripts of the Fairly Odd Parents and he read them like they were books. <laughs> and, and in fact, I, I had a fight one day with the guy who was running Nickelodeon, who's an old friend of mine, about how I I don't really read scripts too much. And I finally said to him, well, look, my nine-year-old has read more of these scripts than I have. Yeah. And he said, well, maybe I should ask him. I said, you should. He's really smart about this stuff. Was he giving him now, notes? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so fast forward, he's 14. He had already like been, when I told him that I thought Adventure Time was going to be really good, he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't watch cartoons anymore. I'm grown up. So he's uh, 14. I said, Joe, um, I just want you to be aware that Adventure Time's launching tomorrow. A lot of kids in your school are going to like it. Mm -hmm. He's dad. High schoolers don't watch cartoons. <laughs> I said, okay, you know, whatever you say. He came back the next day. He was so mad. He was like, st steam was pouring out of his ear. I said, what's the problem? He goes, Luca, one of his close friends from school, his Facebook page was just filled with adventure time, adventure time, adventure time, adventure, you know, like, and he was like, just really annoyed that I was right. Yeah. And I don't blame him. You know, dad should never be right. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Eventually, right. right. Eventually he started asking me for adventure time swag for his friends. Yeah. So I, you know, I knew, I knew we had scored. And by the way, he loves our show Castlevania. Oh, loves it. He's a fantastic. I've got a, I've got a 10 year old boy myself. Um, well, I mean, you got a 25 year old, but I got a, I got a boy myself. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's always funny because my introduction into pop culture world, well, most people, it starts with cartoons like yourself. It actually started, if you couldn't tell with Ninja Turtles and mm -hmm, it wasn't mm -hmm. that 87, that 87 cartoon. It was that nineties movie was what really, yeah. Um, I only had two VHSs as a child. Like when I first started watching movies, I had two VHSs that I remember um, and I burn them both out. I burn out Ninja Turtles three times. Um, and my mom <laughs> got it for me. And then the one she would never get me because of Jim Carrey's most annoying sound in the world was Dumb and Dumber. Um, uh -huh. the, once it burned out, she was like, I will never buy this tape again. Um, and any chance I could go to Blockbuster and try to rent it, she never would let me rent it. So it wasn't until I could buy it myself that I got that one. Did you see the really bad Dumb and Dumber cartoon we did at Hanna-Barbera? <sighs> it maybe you, you, you didn't miss anything let me <laughs> let me put it that way you didn't miss I'm, anything I'm, i got a little notepad i always keep down notes whenever somebody tells me to read something look something up yeah so i'm gonna check out the dumb and dumber and then i'm gonna hit you back up on email and say thanks for ruining my night <laughs> the, yeah the best thing about it is it was the design was fantastic mm -hmm. but we did it for abc uh, uh saturday morning and they just they didn't want something good they wanted dumb and dumber yeah warmed over you know well, like a lot of the cartoons that came from movies well i mean i get it because they had the mask was was real big when i was growing up i can't think of the other they had another one that was um because rob paulson had did uh stanley ipkiss for that mm -hmm. one um they did ace ventura uh um, oh i know 
It seems like anything I, Jim Carrey did, they wanted to make it into a cartoon, really. I know. I don't know why, because he was a cartoon. You didn't need to do it. But whatever, whatever. Everybody everybody has their own approach to life, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess so. I mean, there's there's somebody out there that Dumb and Dumber is probably their favorite cartoon of all time. Exactly. Um, well, that's always the case. Yeah. That is always the case. So there you have it. Hey, I know um, we had booked an hour. I just wanted you to know that I, I have to leave in five minutes. So oh, that's, perfect. that's perfectly fine. Um, I do, however, uh, I always ask a couple questions towards the end. Change Please do. Depending on who it is. Um, but you are a fascinating person before we even get down to that one or two questions. You are a fascinating person. I'd love to have you back on here because we can never cover your time in just one short hour. So Julian, whatever you want, I'll be there. I'll be, perfect. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's been that. a pleasure. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so first question, really, out of all the ones you did out of that 48, 48 shorts, what one hits you or sticks right here in your heart the most for you? Well, I'm never going to tell you which are my favorites because they're all your kids and yeah. all of those people work really hard. I will tell you that the first person and cartoon that impressed me to no end was Gendy Tartakovsky and the first Dexter Laboratory short. And to Put it really quickly, I was unimpressed. I was impressed enough that we greenlit it mm -hmm. to do the short. But along the way, it just never really rang my bell, yeah. including the final version, mm -hmm. which turned out wasn't final because he wasn't happy. So I'd sort of seen it. I said, okay, okay, I guess this one isn't going to work. And a few weeks later, they came back and they showed it to me again. I said, no, I already saw it. And they said, no, no, take a look. He changed some stuff. And he had taken exactly the same cartoon and made it go from eh to amazing. Yeah. And I learned what a great filmmaker could do. Yeah. And this was Gendy's first film that he had made since he left school all on his own. And right then... I saw not only his work ethic, but his, his standards for not letting it go if it didn't raise to his standards. And he was never going to do it, let it go until he made it as great as it could be. And he did. And, you know, I think the Dexter Laboratory series is first series that came out of one of our shorts is still stands the test of time as one of the great shows of all time. Yeah, it's by far, if you've got a Mount Rushmore, it's on that Mount Rushmore of cartoons. Um, and the last question, at least, you know, for today, um, when you think, and when we do another part of this, this episode, we'll, we'll probably get the same question, but it'll be for a different part of your career. Yep. What was, uh, other than your cartooning or the cartoons that you brought to life, what was your proudest moment between that 92 and that 96 being at Hanna-Barbera? Gee whiz, I have no idea. I, you know what? I'll tell you what it was. About 18 months in, I was still scared of it and everybody there. Mm -hmm. They had been in the business forever. And a reporter came by from the Atlanta Constitution Journal to do an article. And that scared me because yeah. he wanted to talk to staff. Mm -hmm. So I was walking him around the place and we get to one guy and he said, um, do you want me to tell this guy the truth? I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> now, this guy, I need to understand, he still works at the successor to Hanna-Barbera Cartoon Network Studios. He had started coming by Hanna-Barbera when he was 11 years old and stealing drawings out of the trash to learn how to be an animator. And the first interaction I had with him was a horrible fight. Mm -hmm. when he told me that I wasn't respectful enough to the classic characters. And we just started screaming at each other because I felt I was very respectful to those characters. We had like come to peace and we had figured some stuff out. So the reporter's there and he goes, you really want me to tell him the truth? And I'm like, okay, yeah, Robert, tell him the truth. And he looks at the reporter, he goes, this has been the greatest time of my life in this business. I have never been so happy, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I made it. <laughs> it's, oh, you got me. All right, Fred, I know you got to go. This has been fun. I uh, can't wait to do it again. We'll do um, it again. 
where where can they find you just in case they want to see what you're working on next? Where can we push them to? That's really a great question. I guess to my, I haven't announced my new company yet, so I can't tell you to go there. The website's not done. You can go to my personal website, Fred Seibert, F-R-E-D-S-E-I-B-E-R-T, fredseibert.com. And whatever news will come will be first announced there. Beautiful. I've been Julian at End My Head Pod. This has been Fred. We are out of time. Thank you again, Fred. You stay safe and you have a great day. Take care. Have a great day yourself. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Thanks again for checking out the What's In My Head podcast. If you're digging what you're hearing, leave us a five-star rating. That will help other fans of animation and pop culture find the show. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button, tell a friend, and I'll see you guys and gals next week. Good night.